Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. It's a doozy. It's such a great chapter. Chapter 9, verse 1 says this, And he, Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So Jesus has been walking with the disciples. He's been teaching. And as Matt put it last week, what Jesus is doing is he's proclaiming the kingdom with words. And he's bringing the kingdom with action. And this chapter, I see a huge switch. Not that Jesus is no longer proclaiming and bringing, but he is in this chapter asking the disciples to begin partnering with him. This is the first chapter where Jesus predicts his death. At the end of this chapter, it says that Jesus sets his eyes towards Jerusalem. He knows he's not going to be around forever, and he needs to get his disciples ready. This is the chapter where they switch from being trainees to apprentices. You know the difference? Trainees watch and listen. Apprentices participate. Apprentices get their own things to do. They go out and they work on something. They come back and we can evaluate their work. And that's what's happening here. Jesus is telling his disciples, I have been bringing and proclaiming the new kingdom through the power of the Spirit. And when I leave, I need you to bring and proclaim the kingdom through the power of the Spirit, through a partnership with the Spirit. Does this sound familiar to anyone from some things we've been talking about on Sunday? Man, I I sat here on Sunday and I was like, that's amazing. Because it's exactly what this chapter is talking about. This chapter is Jesus switching his focus to the disciples saying, listen, I'm gone. I need you, when I leave, to partner with the Spirit to proclaim and bring. He needs us. This is our calling, to partner with God's Holy Spirit to proclaim and bring. And as any apprentices, here's what we're going to see in this chapter. We're going to see some successes. We're going to see some failures, quite a few of them. And we're going to see Jesus give some advice And in every one of these sections where I see a success of the disciples, or I see a failure of the disciples, or I see advice given by Jesus, it causes me to ask myself some questions. Because I see myself in these disciples. I want to partner well with God's Spirit to proclaim and bring the kingdom. And sometimes I have successes, and sometimes I have failures, and all the time I need advice. So here we go. Verse 3. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel, and healing everywhere. Jesus calls his disciples. It's your turn, guys. Time to step up to the plate. Go, proclaim, bring, heal, do, but don't take anything with you. 
And as I was reading through that and as I was sitting in church on Sunday and I'm thinking about the work that God's Spirit wants to do in this body of Edgewater Christian Fellowship in our community, I have to ask myself, I have to ask you guys, what do we need less of? Stuff. What do we need less of? I need less time on my phone. I need less Netflix. I need less unnecessary hobbies, less unnecessary commitments. I, some of us need less hours at work. Right? We're just trading hours for dollars. You get a few dollars and then stop giving away your hours. Invest them in the kingdom. For more of the spirit, I'm convinced we need less of the world. And for me, what really got pressed on my heart this week, you know what I need less of? I need less noise. I need less noise. Because our world is noisy. I spend a lot of time driving. Like, I will drive to Tequilma. I drove to Tequilma twice this week, right? So I spend a lot of windshield time. And I am always listening to something. Podcast, audiobook, music. I get on the job. I turn some music on. I'm talking to the customers. I'm never in a place of silence. And this week as I've been forced to, as studying forces me to do, and it's so good for me, get up in the morning, read through this, and then as I was driving, I, I drove to Tequilma with my radio off, with just a silent vehicle. And at first I was like, well, this is weird. Plus, what's that rattle? Like, has that always been there? But I would start meditating through some things I'd read that morning and I would feel like he would press things on my heart that clearly weren't of me and we would converse. And if the noise was there, I just don't hear him. Maybe you need less noise. I don't know. But it's a good question to step back and evaluate. If I want more of God's spirit working in my life, what do I need less of? What do I need less of? Verse 7, it says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. Remember, Herod had John beheaded. Interestingly, this is how Luke tells us that whole story. Like, that's all we get from Luke. He thought John had been raised from the dead, which, if you had killed someone, would be scary. Um, <laughs> And by some, this is what people are saying about Jesus, that Elijah had appeared, and by others, that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. We don't have time to get into this, but basically the thing I found interesting about this is when does Herod sit up and take notice? When Jesus sends out the 12, and there's a ton of people doing miracles. It's great to have Edgewater staff working hard. It's great to have a few servants, but when God's people collectively begin to proclaim and bring, people notice. People notice. That's our prayer for this church as elders as we're moving forward in this season. So, verse 10. Jesus feeds the 5,000. The world's most classic flannel graph Sunday school story. It says this. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. All that they had done. And he took them, Jesus, and withdrew apart to a town called Bethesda. And when the crowd, crowds learned it, they followed him. 
And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodgings and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there was about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said blessings over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to sit before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Amazing miracle. Jesus feeds 5,000. So many things to learn from this story. But here's the one thing I want us to focus on. The disciples. Because here's what's happened. They just came back, just came back from traveling, casting out demons, healing all sorts of diseases, working mightily, partnering with God's spirit as Jesus is wanting to train them to do. And they come back here And there's a whole bunch of hungry people. And what does Jesus say? You give them something to eat. I don't think that's tongue in cheek. I think Jesus wanted to see. What are you guys going to do? Are you going to step up? Do you have faith that I can do even this after all you've seen me do in your life these last weeks? And the question to me when I read through that and when that kind of jumped out at me is this. How do I solve problems? How do I solve problems? There's a big problem. There's 5,000 hungry people, and we're in the middle of nowhere. What are we going to do, Jesus? You give them something to eat, he says. Do I solve problems by prayer, by seeking wisdom, and by discernment, asking for provision? Do I solve problems by looking and expecting God's spirit to partner with me and do amazing things? Or do I solve problems by my own resources and conventional means? See, the disciples were seeing God's work and they were trusting him first and foremost. And we can be in those seasons of our lives. Have you guys ever been in a season in your life where it's like you're just turning to God and he's providing for you and you're turning to God and he's providing for you and you're turning to God and he's providing for you and you're seeing amazing things and maybe it's a hard season or maybe it's a time where you have less and you're on the mission field or maybe it's just a time when you're close to the Lord and then something happens and it's like you reset all the presets on your radio, right? So middle schoolers and high schoolers are gone, so you guys will understand this. Like, I had a car, the battery used to die all the time, okay? Half the time it was because I left the lights on, but other times it was just randomly the battery would die. And all the presets on the radio, right, would go back to whatever it is, like 8.88, right? Just fuzz, you turn on the thing, right? And so every time that would happen, I would reprogram all the presets on my radio, and I would reprogram them in the priority of whatever I had been listening to lately, right? So if I'd been doing classic rock lately, then classic rock goes at number one, right? If I'd been listening to talk radio lately, talk radio goes to number one. Top 40, number one. Country, country music never made the list. Um, but sometimes I think we do that with our relationship with God. Sometimes I'm in this place like the disciples were where my presets are station one, I ask God for help. 
Station two, I rely on God's people. Station three, four, five, six, I look at you know, the internet or social media or I ask a friend or I do all these other things. I think if we wanna see God's spirit working more in our lives, we need to get back to a place where that's the first place we look for help. You've got a child who's acting out. What, is the fir- what if the first thing we do is go to our father in prayer and seek wisdom and ask the one who designed our child for insight? Right? Then we ask for strength to carry out what he told us to do. Instead, I go to parenting books or blog or social media wisdom, which is an oxymoron if I've ever heard one. Struggling with your marriage? Pray first. Ask God for a miracle. Pray for your spouse. That would probably fix it. Pray for your spouse every day. I'm stressed and I'm tired. All right. You know, what's your diet? Stop eating gluten. Stop eating sugar. Stop eating dairy. Stop eating anything you enjoy. If you enjoy it, just don't eat it. <laughs> finances. Do we come to the Father for finances, or do we go to conventional means by default? Now, this is not to say that God will miraculously solve all of our problems, right? Because... How many times does Jesus feed a multitude of people? Twice. Feeds the 5,000, feeds the 4,000. How many times are the disciples hungry? A lot. A lot. I probably, when Jesus does this, one of the disciples sitting back at me like, well, that's a neat trick. Where was that last week <laughs> when we were camping after walking for 20 miles? But I do think that we need to get to a place where Jesus is the first place we look for help, where partnering with the Spirit is the first place that we look. Because it gives God's Spirit an opportunity to work. When otherwise, what if one of the disciples had been rich? If one of the disciples had been rich, we never would have seen this story. Sweet, I got a bunch of money, I'll go buy all the food, I'll bring it all back. Conventional means would have overtaken the work that God's Spirit wanted to do. And I think we need to allow room for God's spirit in our lives. Okay, moving on. Verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others said, Elijah. And others said that one of the prophets of old has risen. Same list that Herod gives. Then Jesus looks at them and says, but who do you say that I am? We're going to come back to this at the end of the evening, but this might be one of the most important questions Jesus will ever ask you. After he asks you to be, after he asks to be the Lord and Savior of your life and you say, yes, this is the next question. Who do you say I am? Who is Jesus to you? And Peter nails it. Go Peter. And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Peter needs some big wins because he's got some big failures. I feel like that. Verse 21, and he strictly charged and commanded them, telling this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus is trying to get their attention. 
guys, I'm not going to be here all the time. I want you to watch what I'm doing, the way I'm partnering in power with God's spirit. It's time to start learning. It's time to step up. Edgewater, it's time to start learning and step up. James, me, in the mirror, it's time to start learning and step up. God wants to partner with us in his spirit of power and see us do amazing things. See us change lives. See us reach out to love our neighbors and care for people. And then he gives us some advice. Jesus said this to all, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now just a pause for a second because it struck me when I read this verse that this had to be the world's most confusing thing in the world because it makes so much sense now because we know what the cross is. And we have all these references for this verse, but these guys are going to be like, take up your what? Be like me saying, every morning you need to grab an electric chair and go for a hike. Okay. Neat. I mean, probably a good workout. So Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. And he says, for whoever would lose his life, would save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Jesus says he predicts his death And then he gives four pieces of advice. This is the advice. Deny yourself. Be a willing servant. Put your treasures in heaven. And be proud to serve God. Those are his four pieces of advice for his disciples. Deny yourself. Be a willing servant. Put your treasures in heaven. And be proud to serve God. That's a great list to live by, isn't it? What a great way to outlook. What a great way to try to partner with the Spirit. Lord, today, help me deny myself. Lord, today, help me to be a willing servant. Lord, today, help me to take my eyes off the things of this world and put treasures in heaven. Lord, this day, may I be proud to serve you. I think it's a beautiful prayer. Verse 28, the transfiguration. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. 
And as he was saying these things, a cloud came over and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Jesus grabs his three, Peter, James, John. They go up on the mountain, and Jesus is transfigured. We see for an instant a glimpse of his glory. My wife made a very interesting observation. She's a great Bible student. And she said, you know, most of the time Jesus is praying alone. I wonder how often he's actually transfigured. Curious thought. No idea. But Jesus spends so much time in prayer. It's a beautiful thing. And this time, they're here. It actually doesn't say that Jesus is praying, but it does say that the disciples are asleep. So that's how we know. That's what they do when Jesus is praying. And then Peter makes this statement. Lord, this is awesome. Let's build three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Oh, Peter, 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 Peter. And as he finishes saying this, a cloud comes over the mountain, and they're afraid. Yeah, I could see that. And then a voice comes out of heaven, and what does it say? This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Two things on this. The first is I find it really interesting what God says. Doesn't say see him. He's glowing. That's what I would think. Look at him. He's glowing. In fact, he's brighter than the other two. Haven't you noticed, Peter? It's not what what God says. Listen to him. Jesus is going to come down from the mountain And he's going to perform miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet what God tells Peter, James, and John is, listen to what he says. That's why I think it's so wonderful we're studying this book of Luke. Because this is a pretty black chapter, but most of this book is red. Most of this is Jesus' words. And I think it's really important when we find ourselves, yeah, in a cloud, so to speak, that we come back and listen to what Jesus says. But the question for me, because remember what we're doing, we're looking at our disciples here and their training and their mistakes, and here's a big mistake. The question I have is this. I might say that Jesus is the one, but is he the one and only? Is he the only one I rely on? See, because we can say Jesus is my savior, But we can rely on a lot of other things to save us. Jobs, careers, relationships, kids. And we know we're relying on them to save us because if we would lose them, we would, right? Just die. If I lost that, it would just ruin me. Careful. You might have made that a savior. You might be thinking that thing is going to save you. See, Peter gets it right. Jesus, he says, you're the Christ of God. You're the one. And then 
Peter walks over here and he's like, ooh, but those two are shiny too. <laughs> They're glowing also. Jesus is our only savior. He's the only thing that will save. He's the only thing that gives us power. He's the only thing that brings us true, lasting joy. And so often in my life, if I'm joyless or I'm dry or I'm struggling, it's because I'm relying on something else to save me. I've put my faith in, my hope in, my future in something other than Jesus and what he did for me and how he sees me. And Peter misses it, and I miss it. Verse 37, let's go to the next mistake. We've got a lot of mistakes for the rest of the chapter. It's uplifting. <laughs> Verse 37 says this, and on the next day when they had come down, so Peter, James, and John, they've come down from the mountain, a great crowd met them, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. They've come down from the mountain. Something was going on while they were up there. There's a man who brought his son to the disciples. The disciples have been traveling around, healing, casting out demons, and they fail to cast this one out. We get a little bit more insight in this story if you look at its counterparts in Matthew and Mark because the disciples actually come up to Jesus afterwards and are like, hey, why couldn't we cast that one out? And Jesus says, you guys know the story, those type don't come out except by prayer and fasting. And so the question I have is this, because here's what I see in the disciples. They want the works, but they don't want the work. Am I disciplined? Because God gives us gifts. There are spiritual gifts, but there are also spiritual disciplines, and they work in partnership with each other. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, yeah, it's great to have partnership with the Spirit, but you also have to have discipline in your life. Okay? Maybe I have the gift of teaching. I seem to enjoy it. No one seems to run out. So let's assume for the illustration I have the gift of teaching. Great. But I need the discipline of study. Because I don't just get chapter 9 as I walk in the door and come up in here and be like, sweet, let's do this thing. It won't go well <laughs> for me or for you. And so often I think that our role in partnering with God's spirit is to exercise the disciplines. Prayer. 
fasting, Sabbath, fellowship, giving, study, celebration, service, worship. That's our pedal, right? Matt's illustration of the bike pedal. He works, I work. He works, I work. We partner together and we move this thing forward and we proclaim and heal. But without our part, it doesn't happen. Because when I see what Jesus says here, it seems to me like he's overreacting, doesn't it? Like he comes down off the mountain, they bring in this person, and what does Jesus say? Oh, you faithless and twisted generation. Does that not seem like an overreaction to anyone else? But here's the thing. Jesus took three disciples and went up to the mountain to pray and probably fast, expecting, possibly hoping, maybe even instructing that his disciples do the same while he was gone. And what do they do? Yeah, clearly they don't. Jesus lived an amazing, spirit-filled, empowered life, but he also lived a very disciplined life. You guys know that? You see that when you read the story of Jesus? He is up early in prayer. He is seeking his Father. He is tired and weary and continuing to serve And I think that occasionally, or especially for me this week, God just kind of called me out because I put a bunch of study in this week and he told me a bunch of things and it was amazing and I've I've felt closer to the Lord in the last week and a half studying than I have in the last couple months. Haven't felt far, just felt closer. You You know what I mean? Like sometimes you just feel closer. I was like, man, Lord, this is awesome. And he's like, yeah, we've been spending time together. Oh, go figure. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) My part, the disciples' part, so that we can partner well. Verse 44, Jesus again foretells his death. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of of men, but they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. What am I afraid to ask about my faith? What are you afraid to ask about your faith? In fact, this is a better question. What are you afraid someone's going to ask you about your faith? Why don't we ask? Why don't we find out? Let's not be afraid to ask because this is truth and truth always holds up to scrutiny. But the Bible says that in the last days, many fools will come and say, that's not wise. And we have to be willing to ask about the things we don't understand. i got to ask about what I don't understand. And that does not necessarily mean emailing Matt. Right? You guys know there's like this concordance in the back. It's got all these words. Right? You can look up verses. And then you can read them. You can study. 
We can study and pray. I think that's where we start. Remember back to the illustration of the presets? What's the first preset? We ask God to partner with us and help us. Lord, I don't understand this. Show me in your scripture where I can understand it better. And then we read and we study and we listen. And if that doesn't work, then we ask other people and we seek this out and we don't take no for an answer. I don't know if that was clapping or someone dropped something. That was awesome. (laughs) My wife had this thing a while ago where she was really struggling with fear as a mom for our kids. And she was like, no, I'm not going to continue to live like this. And I'm like, okay, well, why don't you study it? She's like, what? I'm like, study fear. Study fear. She spent two months studying fear. She's got a notebook on it. It's like this. Does that mean she's never afraid anymore? No. But a lot of it has gone away. And when it crops back up, I know it's cropped back up because the notebook's on the nightstand. Hey, your fear notebook's out. (laughs) Yeah, I've been struggling again lately and I was reading back through the things God showed me. Oh, I feel so much better now. I feel so much better now. Ask. Okay, the next two sections, 46 through 50, they're kind of combined. Here's what happens. We have two instances where the disciples are not giving value to other people's ministries. Verse 46, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by their side and said this to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. The disciples, once again, they're going to blow it. And they are arguing about who's the greatest. What are they arguing about? Are they arguing about, like, who knows the most Bible verses? Or are they arguing about, like, who spends the most time with Jesus? Maybe. But you know the way I read this? They just got back from traveling around and performing miracles. They're arguing about who did the coolest miracle. Do I cast demons out of a lady? I think there was like 37 demons in her. They're fishermen, right? So you know these stories are growing. (laughs) And they're arguing about it, and they're arguing about it. And what they're failing to do is give value to the work that the Spirit is doing through and in their fellow believers. And we can do this so often. The question I have is, do I value the work God is doing in other believers? Do I? The thing is that there's no hierarchy of spiritual gifts. There's no hierarchy of things that we're supposed to do. The most important thing is that everyone is using their gifts in service. I mean, some, tell, some people tell everyone they see they need Jesus. You guys know those people. And sometimes I walk around, I'm like, dude, I should be more like that. But some people walk with just a few people for years and years and years, and they maintain a voice in their life, and then one day they're there to share the gospel. Both of those are callings that God has. One's not more important than the other. Some teach from the front, some hold babies. Some lift their hands in worship. Some people sit quietly with their head in their hands. And it's all valuable. 
and it's all important. Some travel to the ends of the earth. Some people know the name of everybody who lives on their street. Both are important. It's not what our gift is, it's whether or not we're using it. That's it. And the disciples miss this. And because they miss this, they miss the opportunity to encourage each other in the work that, they are, that the other people are doing. If I'm constantly talking about how great my works are and how, what Jesus is doing in my life, and I'm not asking you, hey, man, what, what's the Lord been doing in your life lately? What's been going on? Then I get an opportunity to encourage you and to listen to you and to possibly partner with you, maybe even learn from you. And so what does Jesus do? He grabs a child and brings up in front and says, like, you guys need to be more like this child. What does a child have to offer? Right? Like, I love to cook, and my oldest daughter is six, and she loves to help me, which is so helpful. <laughs> She's like, honey, can I help? Well, we don't have that kind of time tonight. When I do have time, it's awesome. And we made spaghetti together the other night from scratch. I mean, all the way through. And she was up there on the table right next to me. And we did everything. Um, she even used a knife. I think my wife's in the kid wing. Yeah. I helped. <laughs> what do children have to offer? Love and obedience. Obedience is important, too. That's the other thing I want from my child. Well, love and Obedience. That's what Jesus wants from us. That's what Jesus wants from the disciples. And they're too busy arguing about who's better. And then the other thing that they start arguing about is they're devaluing the works of people who aren't in their crew. Look at verse 49. And John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop them. Don't do that. You're not with Jesus. Because he does not follow with us. That person's not a member of our crew. They don't do things the way we do them. And what does Jesus say? But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. I find myself doing this. Like three or four days ago, I was on Facebook, and I was looking at some things, and there is a new church starting in Grants Pass. And I had this super cool video. And a couple of the people who are founding it are kids that I had in a high school youth group here. And I was like, what do you mean you're starting a church in Grants Pass? We got Edgewater. You don't need any more. And then I went to Walmart. And I'm like, oh, man, we'll take all the help we can get. <laughs> like, anybody who wants to come and help, that'd be great. <laughs> come start a church. I think we need to be more positive and and accepting of ministries that maybe we don't even understand, really. But what does Jesus say? Don't stop them. He's casting out demons. If If they're not against you, they're with you. I think we need to be more inclusive when it comes to the body of Christ. And if you feel that, that you struggle with that, then go back two Sundays and listen to a message that Dan Vidlak gave. It was excellent. All about spiritual unity. Nailed this. We need to be more inclusive. Verse 51. And when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, one of my favorite statements in the Bible, Lord, 
do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Oh, now you want to participate. (laughs) Now you want to see an act of the Spirit. (laughs) All right. (laughs) But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Here's the question I have. How do I defend my faith? Because that's what James and John want to do. They want to defend Jesus. They want to defend him. You guys, you know what? He created the world. He rose from the grave. He fed 5,000 people. He does not need you to defend him. Jesus doesn't need us to defend him. He needs us to proclaim and bring. And if people don't listen, right, then what do we do? Just kick the dust off our feet and keep moving on and pray for him. And I think that's so important because they want to use God's power to prove something, and that's not how God's power works. Matt said on Sunday, God has nothing to prove. This is back to a piece of advice that Jesus gave in that first thing. Remember the last thing he said? Because he said, deny yourself, be a willing servant, put your treasure in heaven, and be proud to serve God. That's what we're supposed to do. We're just supposed to be proud to serve God. We don't need to defend our faith. We just need to tell people about it. I'm convinced we need fewer TED Talks and more testimonies. You guys know what a TED Talk is? Right? Some of you do, some of you don't. If you don't, TED Talk is, it stands for Technology Engineering Design. And it would be like brilliant people in those fields and they would grab them and be like, come up front and talk for eight minutes about anything you want and all the, the seminars are public domain. They're all, you can get online and see them all for free. Super cool. But sometimes I think that we think we have to be like TED Talk qualified in order to share our faith. No. We need to share our testimony. We need to share the work that God has done in our lives as we've partnered with the Spirit. How many of you guys were here on Sunday? Okay, how many of you guys were moved by Matt's story? Yeah. But here's the thing. The guy goes to seminary. I mean, he drops some doctrine on us. But what moved you? The testimony. Testimonies move people. Doctrine grounds us, and it's incredibly important. But when it comes to us sharing proclaiming and bringing, I think what we need to do is just tell God, tell people what the Lord has been doing in our life. And in order to be able to do that, you know what we have to do? Be partnering with God to see him do things in our lives. Because as I'm partnering with the Lord and I'm walking it out and he's in preset station number one and I'm asking him for help and I'm seeing him partner with me and give me strength and encouragement and insight and maybe even miracles, I've got something to tell. And I don't need to defend my faith. I'm just going to tell you about it. And if you laugh at me, I'm going to be like, shoot, you weren't there. You didn't see the way God came through for me. You can't shake that faith. I don't even need to defend it. Have a nice day. I will pray for you. I seriously think that's a better method. The disciples miss it here. They want to call fire down from heaven, which, you know, would have been a cool story. (laughs) Final section. Verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, 
I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Suddenly, you've got all these people who want to be Jesus' disciples. I wonder why that is. Dude, I saw what they did. I want to be able to do that. Those guys who've been hanging around with you, I saw one of them cast out a demon. I want to be able to do that. And so Jesus asks him some very hard questions. Really? Do you really know what that means? And when I look through this, it brings me all the way back around to that first question where Jesus would look at me and say, who do you, I, who do you say that I am? Because I can make a socially constructed Jesus. I can make a convenient Jesus. I can make a politically correct Jesus, although that's getting harder. Um, You don't get to pick and choose your Jesus. What Jesus do you serve? Because I love the feed the 5,000 Jesus, but not so much the you must suffer for my sake Jesus. I love the forgive me, Jesus, but not so much the, yeah, you should forgive others too, Jesus. I love the fullness of joy, Jesus, but not so much the die to myself and my desires, Jesus. And we don't get to pick and choose. That's why it's so important that we're in this gospel to see what Jesus really says. Because he says beautiful things and he says hard things. And they're both true and they're both important. And so when he asks me that question, I desire to, I pray to, stand back and say, Lord, I, I, I say you're who you say you are. You say that you're the creator. You say you're the king. You also say I'm supposed to serve you. That you're supposed to be number one in my life. That's who I want to say you are. I want to say that you're the Jesus you say you are. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that tells us who you are. Easy things, hard things, beautiful things. Father, make us your servants in everything that that means the joy and the denial, the partnership and the work. Lord, thank you that you've called us to partner with you. You want to train us even this evening to examine ourselves so that we can better partner with you to proclaim and bring your kingdom in Grant's Pass. So may we do that. In Jesus' name, amen.